Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski, and I'm looking at Dr. Joseph E. Losey. Hi, Dr. Losey. Hey, hello. All right, so Joe is M-D-F-A-C-S-F-A-A-P. Dr. Losey is the Dr. Ross H. Musgrave Endowed Chair in Pediatric Plastic Surgery. He's the Executive Vice Chair for the Department of Plastic Surgery. He's the Chief in the Division of Pediatric Plastic Surgery. And most recently, he is now the Vice Dean of Faculty at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So, Joe, I'm so pleased to be with you. I'm so grateful for your time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. And a shout out to Pitt because I got my Master's of Public Health there. I'm an Erie, Pennsylvania girl. Go Steelers. I'm all about Pittsburgh. Oh, and before I forget, everybody, if you want to see a good faculty affairs website here at Hopkins, we brag on this on Pitt's website all the time. You have to go to www.medfaculty.pitt.edu. Again, medfaculty.pitt.edu. It's an elegant, clean, nice, organized website, and we really admire it here at Hopkins. So again, Joe, thank you so much. Congratulations on your new position. Thank you. Thank you. It's um yeah, it's really exciting. Maybe maybe just we didn't talk about this, but could you just maybe give a little make overview of how you got to be vice dean of faculty? Because I do know you have a passion and a love for faculty um development. You used to be associate dean of faculty affairs, a dean of students, and I know you are currently serving on the AAMC GFA group on faculty affairs steering committee and the program planning committee. So I know that's a passion and a, a love of yours. Can you just briefly tell us how you your journey to vice dean of faculty before we launch into the really exciting thing for the day? Sure, sure. In 2018, I was asked to look at becoming the associate dean for faculty affairs at our school. I was one of the, we call them advisory deans. It's like an assistant dean of students where I had 100 medical students that I followed throughout medical school, about 25 a year. And I really enjoyed that. I was the program director in our training program, a residency training program for, for 13 years and transitioned from that. And that's when I became an advisory dean. So I switched 30 medical, uh, thirty residents for 100 medical students. And that was really meaningful. But then this opportunity as an associate dean for faculty affairs came up. And so when I took that, our health system is separate from our medical school. There are two completely separate entities. We work incredibly close together and the clinical faculty are all duly employed. So we get a paycheck from Pitt and a paycheck from the health system, UPMC. When I applied for this and got the position as associate dean for faculty affairs, I went to the health system because I, I didn't want, I wanted to have more of an integrated role. And the, the head of our health system at that time was set, was like, we want to start a well-being program, a physician well-being program. And there's another uh, faculty who's interested, another a woman, Jen Berliner, who really spends the majority of her effort on this. She's a cardiologist. But she and I kind of started the program together in 2018. And early in that time, she suggested that we go to Cleveland and go through their coach approach training. So we did that and both got interested in peer coaching, engaged a consultant who is a professional executive coach, has been a psychologist, and we hired him to help us put together a physician peer coaching program. So we sort of built it from the ground up with his help. And now we have a pretty active physician, peer coach, 
program. I can't tell you how many, probably a approximating a hundred maybe that has been trained and is in a a pool of uh, physician peer coaches that can help out. Our training program, we run twice a year and it was four half days. And now we're going to make it five half days because we're going to add an entire half day on resilience and developing resilience and having our our peer coaches be able to help those whom they coach to develop resilience. Because I personally think in the physician well-being space, according to the Stanford well-being model, you know, their wheel, resilience is an important, is a part of it. But folks tend to shy away from talking about uh-huh. resilience as a fear of blaming the victim, so to speak. But I honestly think that that is not a good perspective. We work in a broken healthcare system that everybody recognizes. And because of the economic pressures that our health systems face and the the incredible drive for efficiency, the margin becomes the mission. This is universal. It's everywhere where the margin and in, in, in efficiency is dry in the mantra. We've all heard it to do more with less. You know, this year we're going to do more with less. And it's funny because if you read the 1970s work of Maslach when she coined the term burnout, her exact words were, when you force people to do more with less, it results in burnout. It's really interesting. Her 1970s work, the beginning of burnout and how she coined that term, she described that burnout results when people do, you know, are forced to do more with less. Well, that's the banner cry right now of American healthcare was to drive efficiency and to do more with less. So we're going to add a full day training on developing resilience in our coaches. So it's a five-day or it will be a five-day training uh, course to become a physician peer coach. And it's neat is one of those, we have two trainings, one in the fall, one in the spring. One of them is always dedicated to, to physician leaders. So it's my goal to have every division chief ideally department chairs, but they are so busy. It's But every division chief, every section head, every program director, every lab director, anybody who is leading groups of people need to have the skill set of coaching just to be a better leader, not to be part of the pool of physician peer coaches who are taking this on as a passion project and and are willing to work with their their colleagues to help them get unstuck, but just to be a better leader. I mean, I've been a division chief for 20 years, and I so wish that I had gone through the coaching training 20 years ago, it would have helped me out and made me a better leader. Congratulations. This is so important. I love that you're doing and thinking about coaching framework, the coaching mindset as part of a new leader onboarding or new leader orientation concept. And you're right. One doesn't necessarily have to be professionally certified as but having that mindset of knowing how to be non-judgmental, how to ask curious questions, knowing and assuming that the faculty member has the answers to the problem, they are competent, they are motivated. Those foundational principles of coaching, 
I think you're so right. Therapeutic listening, all of those things that leaders, all of those competencies that leaders need to have and are never taught. So I think a prerequisite to being a physician leader is to go through peer coach training, to become a coach. Mm -hmm. I think it's just critical. It's foundational. Before I, I want to learn more about the program, because I know people love to hear about programs because our colleagues in the in the GFA world, Drs. Harriet Hoff and Mr. Tony Sai at Utah, they have a similar coaching program at Utah School of Medicine where they help teach coaching fundamentals and principles. But you, you said something earlier that was important, and I loved how you really hearkened back to the Maslock burnout inventory and how ironic it is that forcing people to do more with less is actually how you want to burn someone out. So literally we're breaking the system. We do something here in in Hopkins around resilience of like, how would you, rather than saying, how would you fix a problem? How would you break something? And the example I always give is, oh, who is the gymnast, the most celebrated gymnast? Simone Biles. So how would you ruin Simone Biles' career? How would you completely sabotage her career? And you would do all these things. You would take away her resources, take away her time to train, don't provide her with adequate nutrition, don't give her good coaching. All these things you would do to ruin this career. Like, interestingly and ironically, we do these things to sabotage the very careers of the the people who matter most in our industry. And you're making me think of the recent article that came out. I was just reading it again. I'm so excited by it. September 22 in the American Society of Clinical Oncology, Dr. Stephanie Graff et al. It's the follow-up of the Simone Simone's maxims. It's understanding modern medical centers beyond Simone, intersectional maxims for a new era. And it's those famous, you know, Simone's maxims back in 1999. But the one, one of the principles that they talk about is this intersectional maxim is is that we're human beings. And the the idea that we say academic medicine is a noble calling should not be confused with faculty members being sacrificial lambs because it's so noble, you're going to die on the sword. Make sure that we remember that's also a job, that faculty members are human beings with lives and caregiving responsibility. They, They have moms and dads that they love as well as their children. So by forcing our faculty members to be innovative and and just work harder and work smarter is really killing that passion, the drive. So I just wanted to amplify what you said and, and thank you for reminding us about burnout. So our peer coaching program, we, you know, the whole purpose of it was to promote well-being and to help fight burnout. But it's difficult. I mean, I understand health systems are under fire today. You know, they're fighting for their survivability, you know, they're fighting for their lives and and to survive. And being efficient is one way to make ends meet. The unintended consequence of becoming more efficient is doing more with less. And that certainly is a prescription for burnout. Totally agree. Uh, Joe, how does the, do the faculty members, a common question we always get is, are faculty members who participate in Pitt's physician peer coaching program, are they do they have protected time for this? Are they somehow remunerated for this? Is this another uncompensated effort? Are they losing money by participating in the training and then the delivery of those kind of coaching? How does that work operationally? That's a great, great, great question. The way our world is set up is that your faculty appointment deals with your research, 
your service and your education teaching and your health system appointment deals with the clinical side of your job and your career but the health system is the larger of the two entities it's a you know 26 billion dollar annual enterprise 40 hospitals in three states and for most duly employed faculty the majority of their effort is clinical care but the health system does support this if you sign up for it they will give you the time to attend the classes now They've even gotten, you know, they're, they pay for, they support the well-being program. They support the peer coaching training, which costs money and, and our consultants fees. All of that's covered by the health system. And they've even given us a small stipend for several of our most engaged and most involved coaches in a few and not a lot. And it's more of a thank you and a recognition. The rest of us do this as a passion project. You know, we recognize that a physician peer coach isn't going to hang up a shingle and do this for half a day a week or a day. It's just not feasible. But we would love to see all of our peer coaches have one coachy relationship at a time, which, you know, we estimate to be one or two hours a week and ideally do this as a service to include that in their CV as an activity, a service activity that counts towards promotion and is a passion project. That's currently the way we're doing it. I mean, we would certainly love to have more resources and and pay everybody. And no one has the appetite to pay for time because that gets into a another discussion that's that's hard but you know i'm i'm super proud of our health system for funding what they have so far and for even giving a small stipend to for some of the more engaged coaches right and i love how you led this conversation off with the acknowledgement that putting resilience out there and normalizing this word and this concept and reducing the stigma the more we talk about it, put it there, make it a day, are vulnerable as leaders to talk about resilience. And then also be, you know, we're talking to Harold Hopkins just again last week in our one of our leadership programs. You know, if you, we try to empower our faculty to make sure that they understand we're all leaders, not necessarily by title, but just by the fact that they're working here. And even if you feel like you don't have the power to lead at this moment, be the courageous follower the courageous follower by challenging leadership, supporting leadership. And I like how you've done that already by just, we're going to talk about this. It's not a secret. We're going to make it part of the life here. And ideally, I, I'm sure you are acknowledging that it's not just, as we've talked about in this in this space, you don't need just another yoga mat. It's not going to fix you, that you're, you necessarily are not broken. It's the system that if we train more peer coaches and have that leadership mindset and challenge the process, that we can appreciate that some things at the organization level have to change, that you're not being resilient enough does not only on you. It's both. And you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So yes, right. You can't fix burnout with another yoga mat. I get it. I understand. Yes, well-being committees need to partner with leadership to make structural changes to the broken system. Yes, 
However, medicine is hard. It is never going to get easier. It's a heavy lift. It comes with a cost for whom is much is given, much is required. It is just hard work. And that's not going to get better. And well-being initiatives and endeavors are not going to change the baseline difficulties of what being a clinical physician is all about. Oh, and by the way, we are working in a broken healthcare system that is not going to be fixed overnight. So we need to work what we can work, but we must also attend to our own and train in our medical students and residents resilience to survive. Because I love the quote, it's not the load that'll break you, it's the way you carry it. Medicine's a heavy lift. It's a heavy load. It's not going to get any better. That's just the way we signed up for this. And we need to be resilient. We need to face the fact, I'll put a plug in, if you all have not watched this TED Talk, which was a top 20 TED Talk in 2020 by Dr. Lucy Hone, H-O-N-E, who I've gotten to become friendly with from Christ Church, New Zealand. She's an expert, has gotten training at Penn in positive psychology, and her expertise is in the resilience of grieving. She's a resilience expert. Her TED Talk, you must do yourself a favor, treat yourself for 15 minutes. And it's she talks about the three principles of resilience. And uh, we had her at Pitt as a visiting professor. And she's now an adjunct, has an adjunct appointment in our department. It's wonderful. She's amazing. Her TED Talk, it is spot on. And it talks about what I've been saying, the three strategies to build resilience. Dr. Lucy Hone, H-O-N-E, it is, you've got to watch it. It's the message for physicians. We have got to embrace this. We have to train it in UME and GME. Our medical students need to be resilient. Our our resident physicians need to be resilient. And we talk a little bit about she and I talked about, we moderated a panel together here, and she makes the difference between grit and resilience. Grit is perseverance toward an ultimate goal. Resilience is your capacity to withstand and recover from hardship. Physicians are gritty folks. By definition, just to to get to where, to survive medical school and residency, and you are gritty. My contention is that we're not all that resilient. I mean, physicians need, and what's nice is resilience can be learned. It can be exercised. You can get better at it. Resilience is important. We can also embrace resilience while we're fixing the system. You shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Amazing. I'm going to watch Dr. Lucy Hone H-O-N-E's TED Talk. Absolutely. And and I can't help but be so inspired by what you're saying and so excited about the resilience. And I, you just made me think about resilient communities. And especially on the heels of COVID and over the past three years now, I'm wondering how we can parlay that mindset, that armoring up and helping us to bounce back, how we can then take that into our neighboring communities in Pittsburgh and Baltimore to help our communities uh, be more resilient. 
She's written a book about uh, resilient uh, schools and doing this for our communities, but bringing it into our schools to train our children uh, to be resilient. Because it's a, it's a very Buddhist philosophy, like bad stuff happens. I mean, she starts out, I don't want to spoil the TED Talk, but she starts out by saying, I want you to stand up if you've ever lost a loved one, if you've had a divorce, if you've had this or that or these things, you know, by the end of this 30 second question, everybody in the room is standing up. And her point is bad stuff happens to everybody. And we shouldn't have the the posture of, oh, why me? Poor me. But but rather, when is it going to be my turn? And am I prepared for it? You know? And do I have a network of people who will catch me when I fall and help me rebound? And I love how you are building that, building that community at Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. Love it. Love it. I can see why you are doing all you're doing. Dr. Joe Lucy, this has been wonderful. Uh, Thank you for being on the Faculty Factory podcast and sharing your wisdom. Congratulations on your new position and getting that MBA. And uh, we are so happy to have you in the GFA in your leadership Again, so much appreciation. And I'll, I'll let you have the, the peace out word to the international community. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share what our program's like. Anybody, please reach out. If you're interested in chatting more about well-being, peer coaching, resilience, I, I'm happy to ca- continue the conversation. And you can reach Dr. Losey at joseph.losey, L-O-S-E-E, at chp.edu. You can find him on the facultyfactory.org website. Take a look at all his podcast episodes. So thanks again, Joe. Really appreciate you. And see you all next time on the podcast. I know. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.